0: Hello, and welcome to episode 106 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Gabe Albernaz, director of the Montgomery County Department of Recreation, former chair of the Montgomery County Democratic Central Committee, um, an excellent Participant with karaoke and he makes a mean pasta salad. Gabe, how are you doing today? Good, Jordan? How are you? Excellent. The first question I'd like to pose to you is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why?
1: So I am the director of the Department of Recreation. I've been working in the administration of the County Executive Ike Leggett for the last ten years and it has been my dream job in a variety of ways For the last 10 years, I've had the opportunity to initiate a comprehensive out-of-school program called Excel Beyond the Bell, which has served thousands of kids over the last six years. We've been able to open five brand new community recreation centers and see the joy and the happiness that it's brought to a number of communities across Mm -hmm. the county. We've also been able to provide high quality programs and services to our more vulnerable populations like senior citizens. And I've enjoyed it. It's just been a lot of fun, and we've been able to, I think, make a difference in the last 10 years in the lives of a lot of people by helping to improve their quality of life, but also um, really providing a strong infrastructure and support services for our residents.
0: So talk to me a little bit more about the after-school programs that you've been expanding. What does that look like? Why is it important? Why is it fall to the parks to pick up where the schools leave off?
1: So the we talk often about um, uh, the opportunity gap that exists in Montgomery County, and I've experienced that, I've seen that with my own two eyes. If you look at all of the extracurricular activities that are available to our students across the county, there's no question that disproportionately, whether services provided by the public sector, the private sector, um, they, they tend to conglomerate around communities that can often afford them, and so we have intentionally over the last ten years been trying to level the playing field. We have been literally yes exactly <laughs> like that. well done um, we have been providing more out of school time programs in communities that are less affluent that don 't have PTAs that have the ability or the resources to be able to supplement the programs and services after school that are being offered through the schools and we launched an initiative called Excel Beyond the Bell, and we mm-hmm. did it very strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, about eight years ago, there was an analysis conducted by the Collaboration Council of Montgomery County, and they looked at the out-of-school time programs in, in uh, across the entire county, and what they found was um, two things, well, a lot of things, but two primary things. The first was that there were a variety of programs and activities at the high school level, mostly school-sponsored, and not all of them required a 2.0 GPA. There was stuff for youth to do yeah. right, in most schools, uh-huh. um, and the same was true at the elementary school level. Now, rem- remember, this was eight years ago, but every element, almost every elementary school in the county, mm-hmm. either had an out-of-school time childcare provider, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes a for-profit entity. But there was some opportunity for for programs. But at the middle school level, it was catch-as-catch-can. And the schools in more affluent communities with strong PTAs had a robust menu of after-school options, after-school programming options for youth. Mm -hmm. But not surprisingly, the, the, the schools in Title I schools didn't. And so... So did the, the PTAs, thing.
0: by the way, mm-hmm. just to interject there, sure. did the PTAs advocate more successfully for the use of public funds for after-school activities in those schools that had robust programs, or is it that they were able to fundraise from their own community to provide their, their services?
1: The latter. So they were able to fundraise within their own community. And um, even within the sports hemisphere, mm-hmm. you know, you've got booster clubs that, that are able to provide new jerseys for... Uh, teams every year and and other schools in less affluent communities that aren't. Mm -hmm. And so it it, it really was disproportionate. Um, And the other thing that the study found was that although there were quality programs being offered, they weren't being offered very strategically. And a lot of the programs that were out there had wonderful people that were passionate but not necessarily trained in the field of youth development. And the field of youth development is actually a relatively new field.
0: What is the field of youth
1: development? It's providing meaningful programming for youth beyond a school setting. And so it parallels with being a teacher in a variety of different ways, but it focuses more on the social and emotional well-being of, of our children and youth.
0: Which has been, was a priority of the previous Montgomery County Public School superintendent.
1: Yes, and and I think now, too, um, I've had the opportunity to meet with Dr. Jack Smith, and um, I've been impressed uh, at his commitment to really strengthening the opportunities that exist for all of the children within Montgomery County Public Schools, regardless of what zip code they live in or what school they go to, Mm -hmm. and he's really demonstrated a willingness and openness to to work collectively with us, which continues um, from the previous administration that had also opened a variety of doors to partnerships that hadn't existed before.
0: So these after school programs are not academic in any way, there's no tutoring, or or is it a mix as it's know? a mix. Okay.
1: So uh, within our Excel Beyond the Bell, we offer enrichment activities in the area of STEM, but also in the arts and humanities and, and and what we try and do is infuse an academic component within the program. And the program's fairly straightforward. It's offered four days a week for an hour and forty-five minutes. We provide a hot meal high-quality programs, and a ride home. and So in the case of some
0: students, they may be getting all three meals a day from taxpayers. They may get a hot breakfast at school, a free and reduced meal at lunch, mostly subsidized by the federal government, and then they could get dinner, essentially, through an after-school program offered through the Parks Department.
1: Exactly. So, And uh, we work closely with MCPS, and these are all federal resources that we access to be able to provide the kids with, with the three-score meals.
0: How do the kids get from the school to the parks, or are any of these programs actually held on school property?
1: So our Excel Beyond the, Pro- Excel Beyond the Bell programs are all held within schools. Okay. Um, but in addition to that, we have uh, a number of programs and services that we offer within our recreation centers. Mm-hmm. So we cast a pretty wide net, but even having done everything we've, we've been able to accomplish so far... We still have a supply and demand issue. There are still many more students and youth that would like access to programs and services that they can't access them because there aren't enough slots available. So you have waiting lists. We have waiting lists at at virtually all of our schools. And another interesting challenge that our youth face is that oftentimes they have to go home and take care of their younger siblings and and provide, in a sense, childcare. Mm -hmm. uh, they themselves. So there are a number of students at the middle school and high school level that have reported to us through surveys and through focus groups that they just, they have to go home. They'd like to
0: do the program. They'd love to do the program. But they don't have, the family doesn't have the means and they rely on them to take care of the kids. So is there any way to address those needs?
1: So my dream is to create a continuum of after-school programs that begin at the kindergarten level that go all the way through high school. And I want to do this by clusters, I want to focus obviously on the cluster of high schools where there's the greatest need, but theoretically, if you have programs mm-hmm. that go all the way from kindergarten build off of themselves every year, right. and then carry kids all the way through high school, mm-hmm. then if the younger sibling has an opportunity to engage in something positive, mm-hmm. then that eliminates the barrier for the older sibling to be able to participate in a program. So... We're, we're getting closer. Uh, we decided strategically to build from the middle out because the greatest need happened to be within middle schools. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen, Jordan, over the last five years in particular, is a growing need at the elementary school level. Because a lot of the Where private... Where you mentioned
0: earlier, there already have been established after school programs.
1: But they're, they're going by the wayside. And a lot of the private... Um, out-of-school-time child care providers mm-hmm. are having to pull out because there are families that just can't afford to pay for the services that they're offering. and So, consequently, so it's not
0: profitable for a private business to that's actually right. offer services to an indigent school whose, whose students need child care after school but whose parents are unable to afford it.
1: Nailed it. Yep, that's exactly right. And it's, uh, it's a growing challenge across the county and... I think that is uh, an important role for us as government officials to play, it's, to think creatively about how to address, because it has long-term ramifications. If we have students who are going home to empty households, then it creates a negative opportunity for them to get involved in all kinds of terrible things.
0: So you're alluding to parks programs having a potential impact on the criminal justice system, while at the same time you've alluded to the parks Uh, program having potential impacts on economic development the insinuation is if kids are able to stay productive and safe at school Mm -hmm. then both parents can contribute to the economy by working throughout the day
1: yep and they're absolutely i agree with that 100 and you nailed it again and the other aspect of this is there's something to be said for peace of mind i have four young kids now they're eight six three and three months old And I, the the most important role you can play as a parent is keeping your kids safe. And I think about it all the time, and we're fortunate in our family to have a really strong support structure in place um, in which our kids are exposed to a variety of um, options for programs and services, but also there's a caring adult home waiting for them to ask them how their day was, to help them with their homework, and it just contributes to our family to be able to to offer that to our kids and there are so many families in the county because they're working so hard but so many hours and often non-traditional hours they're not able to provide that same level of support so and it adds a lot of stress to families so
0: if they were working non-traditional hours first of all what does that mean and second how would an after-school program help that family
1: so we have families that work um, very early in the morning mm-hmm. uh, and work well late into the evening. And so, they also work often on Saturdays and Sundays in some cases. Right, And so it's, it's the, the programs and services that the most critical time is from 3 to 6.30 p.m. because that's when youth are the most at risk for being involved in risky behavior, for being the victims of crime, hmm. and it's, it's the, the hole that, that we want to fill But the other thing I'm interested in, we haven't talked about this yet, is I think we have a role to play in supporting our families holistically, not just our youth. And by that I mean it's very expensive, as we know, to just live in Montgomery County, let alone find recreational, productive, fun things to do that are affordable and accessible for entire families. Mm -hmm. Going to the movies for an entire family with popcorn and a soda can be as much as $50, which is completely inaccessible for, or more expensive. Could be $100. Uh, could it be $100. So the theater down the
0: road that's charging, IPIC is charging $24 a ticket.
1: Exactly. So I think that um, that's created an opportunity for us, and I think an obligation, to create a time and space for an entire family to come to one of our recreation centers, for example, on a Friday night, and pay some nominal fee, sliding scale, mm-hmm. where we've got good music, we've got good food, In one room, we have programs and activities targeted to toddlers or younger children. In another room, we've got programs and services targeted to the high school-age kids or the adolescent kids, maybe a movie Mm -hmm. or some kind of program. Hmm. And then maybe there's a dance for the parents or even the grandparents to enjoy downstairs in the gym.
0: Sounds like a cruise ship. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love that.
1: That's true. Um, No shuffleboard, but we can work on that. But I think it would be... um, You know, those are just... Scratching the surface, but those are the kinds of things that I'm very passionate about and, are there, and the role that I'd like for our department to
0: play. Are there adult learning courses such as teaching English as a second language to adults who immigrate here 40 years old are looking to actually become more proficient in English? Is that something they could do?
1: It, it is, and, and I think you know th- there is a, a very valuable um, program that doesn't get enough attention in Montgomery County, and that is the Gilchrist Multicultural Center. Uh, which actually used to fall under the Department of Recreation, but under reorganization in the county, now falls within the Office of Community Partnerships. And that program is intended to serve as a bridge um, and as a welcoming center for our immigrant population in the county. And we often host uh, classes, programs, and services offered by Gilchrist, but there's an opportunity there for an expansion of those programs and services. And that's the kind of thing I'd like for us to do.
0: Interesting. So you're able to promote multiculturalism. But you know, a lot of people, when they think about recreation, they think about, I don't know, um, after school sports and soccer fields and mm-hmm. parks, really. Right. You're different than parks. You offer sports. What really, how would you describe what the Department of Recreation does?
1: So we try and enhance the quality of life of the entire county, people of all ages and abilities. Uh And that is, certainly fitness is a part of that. Uh Certainly sports and making those traditional recreation-based programs is the core of what we do and always will be. Uh But beyond that, we have to get creative in how we reach our constituents in the county, Uh both in the programs and services that we're offering, but also the manner in which we offer them. They need to be culturally sensitive, they, for example, um, one of the fastest growing sports in the county, believe it or not, is cricket. Uh, there is a, a very growing demand for cricket in the county because we have a large Indian and Pakistani population. Hmm. And so there aren't enough cricket fields uh, in the county to meet <laughs> the demand that's out there. Are there any? There are three. <laughs> um, but there is great interest in, in having more of them. So the needs of our residents are evolving, and it's not even just the program; it's the accessibility. There was an article in the Washington Post a couple of months ago that really um, exemplified what I talked about earlier, and that's the, the disproportionate programming. There are very uh, there are a lot of youth sports opportunities in the county, mm-hmm. but in the eastern part of the county, for example, where there are a lot of kids. If you look at the infrastructure of youth sports, it's not as strong as as most other parts of the county. Because the
0: eastern part is less well off. Less
1: well off. And and I think, you know, there are uh, barriers that include transportation. Mm -hmm. Um, People don't have a lot of leisure time or disposable income. Mm -hmm. And even something as simple as, traditionally for the, as sports start, you get parents to volunteer to coach. I coach my kids. Right. But if so both parents when, are working, but When parents are working multiple um, jobs, multiple jobs, or may not have access to cars,, right. then it, it becomes much more difficult get to get to practice, to get to a game. So one of the things we're going to be working on, and, and one of the things the county executive would like to do, is to create leagues that are much more accessible to families, that are more cost-effective, and there are organizations, nonprofit organizations in the county that provide mm. sports equipment uh, for free. Hmm. Um, that's reused. And so um, those are um, the kinds of things we'd like to do more of.
0: So you've been in this role for a long time. You've been trying to improve access to recreational services, uh, both on parks property, on school property, and you've been trying to do it, especially giving a a special attention to those children who are most at need, who come from less well-off families. What's your track record? Have you been successful?
1: We have been. So within our Excel Beyond the Bell model, We uh, just in the out-of-school time program, it's a program that we've been tracking its outcomes for quite some time. And Mm -hmm. what we have found is that kids that actively participate in Excel Beyond the Bell come more than 10 times, um, have clear improved GPAs and fewer truancy rates. Have you seen improved graduation rates? We are starting now, under this administration... um, we have been able to access a lot more data than we have in the past. Mm -hmm. So um, the doors were opened under the previous MCPS administration and they've continued and they've matured to a point now where we've established memorandums of understanding with MCPS to have access to their data still keeping in mind uh, the high priority of confidentiality and not running afoul of, of any obligations that they have, yeah. but giving us information on the macro mm-hmm. to be able to figure out um, you know, and track these kids as cohorts. That's still evolving. We have outcome data now for the last four years, yeah. um, but what I'd like to do and where we need to go is track longitudinally across all the way through graduation. So. About a year from now, graduation rates are something I'm going to be able to provide you, but right now I can provide you data on truancy, on GPAs, which, as long as it's taken, uh, is a lot further than we have been. But the next phase will be tracking how many kids have actually graduated.
0: It's Wonderful. So you've been able to help kids improve their GPAs, uh, attend school more frequently. Great. Um, What I'd like to do now is transition... A little bit over to the life of Gabe Albernaz. Okay. So, away from Parks, how did you get here? You know, at some point, you were appointed. But, as you know, there are a million people living in Montgomery County. Uh, County Executive Ike Luggett could have appointed one of any of those one million in- residents uh, to, or, or people outside. Mm-hmm. Why? How is it that you got to this role? You were previously involved with the local Democratic Party apparatus. Speak a little bit about your
1: path to your present position. So... It, it wasn't really a straight line, mm-hmm. um, but basically, um, I, I'll go back to college. Um, so while I was at the University of Maryland, I did a study abroad program in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I worked for an organization called Casa Alianza, which worked with homeless and runaway youth. Hmm. And my job within the organization was to specifically help uh, reintegrate kids with their families who had run away from home.
0: You had a job while you were studying abroad.
1: Yes. Interesting. So um, it was um, an enlightening experience and one of the most powerful of my life Hmm. and made me realize um, that I was very interested in public service, that that was my passion. That's Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. But I didn't realize after I graduated from college just then, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, what am I going to do law school mm-hmm. so but before I decided to go to law school, I thought, well, before going seriously into debt, mm-hmm. maybe I should go work for a law firm, so I worked for a big communications law firm in d c for a couple of years mm-hmm. and didn't enjoy it. It Mm -hmm. it was just not my passion, and and I just, clear, it wasn't a good fit. So from there, I went to go work for the nonprofit sector for about six years, and worked for Children's Hospital and then the Latin American Youth Center, and developed a real passion for working with children, youth, and families, Mm -hmm. and issues related to children, youth, and families. And when Ike Leggett came on board as County Executive, he was seeking to take the Department of Recreation in a slightly different path. He wanted to provide more robust, uh, comprehensive, and holistic programming. The department had been doing a fantastic job and continues to do a fantastic job of providing those more traditional recreation-based services, like you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. you know, basketball, soccer, um, sports-based activities, and was also heavily involved in special events. Mm -hmm. And there was a youth development team, but um, it, it, it... he was interested in expanding that effort. Did, so, he,
0: did your budget increase or were you able to do more with the same amount?
1: So too bad we only have 24 minutes yeah. or whatever <laughs> it is because there's, a, there's a, quite a story to tell there. But um, when I came on board, we were also had a rise in gang activity in the county. And one of the things I'd done when I was at the Latin American Youth Center was I worked for the Gang Intervention Partnership, and I established the Gang Intervention Partnership in Prince George's County. Mm -hmm. And so the county executive was interested in carrying on that work in Montgomery County, but solidifying the prevention component of the prevention, intervention, and suppression strategy around gangs. And so my job was to beef up the prevention component. Unfortunately, the county executive was met with what... President Obama was met with, which was the economic downturn, Mm -hmm. and he had to make some very painful and difficult decisions in his first three years of office Mm -hmm. with massive reductions across the board, and he did his best to hold the line for those safety net services, but unfortunately, um, when it came to, you know, recreation libraries and some other departments, there was there was no option but to take a big hit, mm-hmm. um, and and we did we took a big hit, and so, but the good news was it, it forced us to make a dollar out of seventy five cents. Mm-hmm. It forced us to really think more comprehensively and strategically about the programs and services we were offering, mm-hmm. to do them in a more efficient manner, um, but to do them with partnerships. That was the other good thing that came so out. You of got the private downturn. sector funding. Not not even that. It was more. Connections with other nonprofit organizations who were serving similar populations, it in a way forced us to work together, and I've now 10 years in, and as the economy has improved, we have been able to establish a much stronger safety net because of those relationships and because of the partnerships that we have, excuse me, with other youth-serving organizations. And so, in a way, it's been a good thing, uh, but it was a difficult road to get here.
0: Well, as you mentioned, we do only have a limited amount of time for the podcast and we're nearing the end of this episode. So I would like to ask you a final question, which is to reflect upon your years in public service and your forthcoming uh, years time in public service as as uh, you move forward. I'd like you to take a moment and speak to the listeners about why it is, what your motivation is, why it matters so much to you. To perform public service, to why you've chosen to move your career in this direction as opposed to, say, the corporate law path, which you did consider, um, and what the implications are of that. Why? What is your legacy? Why has choosing this path of public service actually has it? What have been the effects of that? So,
1: well, I believe passionately in social justice. Um, I believe that if you give families and youth the right opportunities, that they can thrive and succeed. I've seen it with my own two eyes, youth and families in the most precarious and difficult of circumstances that, that you can possibly imagine, mm-hmm. but that have succeeded and have thrived and done really well. And so it, I get a lot of energy and a lot of joy out of helping other people. Mm-hmm. And within public service, your entire job is focused on that. And I have enjoyed working in an executive branch And for a boss that has really allowed me the latitude and and given me the resources that I've needed to be able to help a a lot of people in a very direct and, and holistic way. And so I'd like to think that through the programs and through the policies we've been able to establish that we've not only improved the quality of life of our residents, but we've significantly impacted it as well.
0: Well, that has been Gabe Albernaz, director of Montgomery County's Department of Recreation, former chair of the Montgomery County Democratic Central Committee, who speaks about his lifetime of service as one that began in Mexico City. He has a sense of duty to, uh, to advancing social issues of social justice. He has a compassion for those who uh, have it tough, have a, t- a raw deal in life. He has seen individuals um, who have faced difficult circumstances in other countries and in our own backyard he sees families in need and so for Gabe public service is rewarding in his in that he's actually able to make a difference in the lives of these individuals who are so much in need and whether it's being able to uh, help a student stay in school and potentially graduate, and or whether it's just getting them three square meals a day, um, making sure that families can, as he mentioned, as a father, he knows. One of the most important things is to ensure that his, the kids are safe. So he's helping parents n- have, have faith that their kids are safe and they can go to work without worrying about their families. So, Gabe, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Jordan, thank you. And before we end, I want to thank you for doing this. One of my great concerns when the Gazette went away and our large media publications have cut back on local um, media, uh, you're, you're helping fill the void. And what you're doing is a public service, and it's important, and I hope other people do it because it's informative and it's important. And we need to hold our elected officials and our government officials accountable, and you're doing that through your work, and I appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you, Gabe. And uh, for our listeners, that has been Episode 106 of Public Interest Podcast where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. Thank you so much for joining us. Please be sure to visit our website at publicinterestpodcast.com. You can listen to episodes on iTunes um, or the podcast app with Apple products. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Take care.